Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox's Sake. My name is Pete Selby and uh, we've got Rob Hayes uh, in the For Fox's Sake 2 HQ. Um, hello Rob, how are you? Is that what we're calling them now? For Fox's Sake HQ 1, For Fox's Sake HQ 2. I can assure you that I'm not quite as festive as you at the moment, Pete, and th- that picture is is solely from your end of the fo- for Fox Egg HQ, the one that we can uh, see in all its glory on Twitter with its um, with its resplendent Leicester City frame behind it. Yeah, normally I'm um, a bit more kind of uh, you know once we get to double figures in December, then I start to put the old trimmings up on the wall and all that sort of thing. But uh, no, uh, due to in fact, that got quite a busy December, really. Uh, today was the day. Uh, new tree, everything thrown out, so all new stuff. Uh, and yeah, the, the you know the signed England Jamie Vardy shirt is resplendent alongside the new tree. So uh, yeah, for Fox Eight HQ One is looking. Well, actually, we just just call it for Fox Eight HQ is looking resplendent, and um, I'm sure for Fox Eight HQ Two will follow suits. Um, interesting podcast this week because we are recording on a Monday. And the very exciting thing is that we are recording during the third round of the FA Cup draw. The best draw in the world ever, every year, is the third round draw. Anyone can get everyone. You know, you could be a a, a non-league side. You could be Shepshire Dynamo if you qualified. And you could get a Premier League side. And the draw has not taken place yet. It's literally the opening stages. They've they've just started to introduce the crowd. They're at um, Stamford Bridge. I pointed out Martin Tyler actually just before he we went on air. Who's I, I, I want to say Stevenish. I could be absolutely monumentally wrong, but it was a red and white tie, and it had a, a logo that he didn't recognise. And maybe I, I might be wrong, but he stood behind Zola, Rude Hollitz there, and they're going through the sides. So we'll give you live reaction of what happens during the FA Cup draw. You will know by the time you listen to the podcast who we've got. But um, why not record a podcast during the draw? Um, we're obviously working on the back of a very impressive and a, a really good and, and, and needed, with looking at the fixture list and games coming up, three points against Watford. And everyone seems to be happy, Rob. It turns out... That's you know a few counter-attacking goals and obviously the uh, the one was a penalty in the end but and 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 a great second goal it it just feels like it was back to the old Leicester but we've been playing well recently we've obviously had all the the bits and bobs behind the scenes but in terms of keeping clean sheets and picking up points we've been quite regular in that and um, and it was a much needed three points we said on the last podcast that this is. A game we need to win. And we did. And we did it in some style by leading early on. Something that's not happened for a while. Yeah, I was really pleased with that. And and it was interesting that a lot of the things that we talked about on the last episode of the podcast came to fruition, really. I'd, I'd signed off by predicting fairly optimistically that uh, that Leicester would win 3-0. Just because I normally go for a, a solid, safe 2-1 because uh, you can't go far wrong with that. But I wanted a 3-0. I wanted us to make a statement. I wanted us to score a couple of goals, uh, at least. I wanted us to keep a clean sheet. And, and we did all of those things on top of starting well and actually coming out of the blocks. Uh, and Claude Powell said it as well in his post-match pre- press conference in particular. It was important for us to start well, get the get the fans behind us. And that's exactly what they did. Um, and... Ultimately, the Leicester fans will back you to the hilt, regardless of what players are out on the field or what manager is patrolling the sidelines. If you give them something to cheer, and more often than not, if you don't, that they will back you. So to get two in front, nice and early on, put us in a position where the inevitable Watford response came and... Although the goal, our goal led a, a charmed life at times and, and Watford at, at times during the second half in particular did look like they'd score from every single attack that, that, that they put forward. It was almost like a Leicester 
of old, if you will. And I don't want to compare them to the old Leicester because they're not anymore. They're, there's fresh faces on the pitch. There's a fresh uh, approach from the coaching and managerial team. Um, but in terms of the looking at the possession stats and looking at the clinical nature of the counter-attacks, that, that's the comparison I'm making there. I think we only had a third of the possession, yet we scored two goals uh, with no response from Watford. So it was nice. It was it was arguably as close to a complete performance as we've managed to see so far from Leicester City. And the exciting thing for, for me is the fact that it was by no means a complete performance. So it's to, to beat a team that are very much going to be in and around our position in the Premier League this season by a convincing scoreline with an excellent start and probably the most rounded performance of the season so far over the 90-minute period is only is only promising and enables us to continue the momentum that we have started to build now. That's five games unbeaten, remember, and people will argue and say, well, that's three draws, but they're better than losing. Um, and we can take some real momentum now into into the busy December. And it, and it was a performance all over the field as well. I would just mention the centre-halves and the defence in, in, in to start with, really, because... If you look back at the way we played during the, the league winning season and in games where we've done very well since, um, the defence has been a, a, a very important role because they've had to soak up a lot of pressure. Yes, they used to force the ball, uh, the ball wide and then uh, force the opposition to the, get, get the ball into the area, which is easy for the centre-halves like Huth, etc. at the time to then clear. But the game on Saturday, there's a number of chances for Watford, who, who are a decent side, first of all, Lay down on line, they're a, they're a decent side. You know, they are a genuine mid-table side who can upset anyone on their day and have had a really good start to the season. Uh, they're a good team and they created chances and they always will do against pretty much every team they'll play against. So it's no surprise that they did. But also the way that Leicester defended, they, they, they did in a style of a team who were able to soak up a lot of pressure, but also able to put their bodies on the line and to also block the ball very well. Yes, being positionally um, very sensible, you look at the full-backs, you look at Ricardo, you look at Chilwell in that sense. But then you look at the centre-halves, where's Morgan? A tremendous game for Morgan. Um, coming back into a team that did well in midweek in the Cup, Sachoyu, for example, was a, a, a tremendous performance midweek and obviously he came on more on that later. But... A really good defensive performance. Ricardo again standing out really for his defensive work. He's obviously learned, and and this is going to happen. A lot of these players are either young or unexperienced in in this league, so they are learning their trade at the top flight of English football uh, by playing games. And Ricardo was dropped for a number of games because of that. Um, Almaty came in, and unfortunately, just as he was looking really safe. Uh, had that really bad injury. Ricardo's come back into the team in that defensive position and has really worked on his game. We mentioned early on in the season that he's got a great leap on him and he looks a very active defender and he just his sense really has, has come to him now. He's obviously learnt a lot on the training field and he's become a really good defensive fullback as well as his strengths going forward. First of all, the numbers are going into the <laughs> they're going into the pot right now for the draw. So this is where we are right now. Rude Hullet and Paul Ince. It looks like yeah, Paul Ince and Rude Hullet, they're gonna draw them out. Looks like Rude's on the home teams and uh, Paul Ince on the away team. So we'll just go with it. Leicester are ball twenty one, I think. Um and so we'll we'll just we'll we'll carry on while glancing to to the TV. But uh, yeah, it, it was a great defensive performance. But we'll start off with the first goal, penalty, nice and easy. Uh, Vardy, you know, he kind of like collapsed his knees at the right time. But it was always going to be a penalty. Foster came out and and brought him down. The second goal though is stupid. A great, fantastic, quick counter attack. First of all, the Cruyff turn on halfway by Vardy. Is, he's obviously scored a goal, so he's full of confidence. A brilliant first-touch Cruyff turn. The first-time ball by Albright, and that whipped ball, which we saw a number of times in a Leicester shirt, his, his first-time ball is caught out the defence and it's being read by you know the Leicester players. But the, the, the couple of touches by Madison, the first touch is absolutely stupid. You know, get off the field with that pitch. What With that touch, what are you doing? Like That is... 
brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And, you know, a little bit of a look when it came off his knee and then it came off a defender, but there you go. It doesn't matter. What a goal. What a goal. Yeah, joy to watch, wasn't it? And it was, um, as you say, it was. It, it's not the the fact that, that that Madison has had a couple of lucky bounces and buried it, because if you just looked at that aspect of the goal, then it's it's a bit fortuitous. But it's the way that we played out of our own half. Excellent turn by Vardy to create himself all kinds of space. And then that ball from Albrighton is a ball that the Powell regime has been hesitant to utilize enough in my opinion i agree um it it was a it was a much quicker way of moving the ball forward and it is absolute proof that okay if you're building from the back there are times when that is apt and there are times when that is effective uh, but when you have managed to play the ball calmly out of your own half in that manner why should O'Brien put his foot on the ball and then seek a square pass and try and pass and probe and stretch them when they're already stretched. Capitalise on the fact that they've committed men forward. Use that arrow-like accuracy that he does have um, in terms of those kinds of passes. I think what we've struggled to see from Mark Brighton this season is the fact that because we've been trying to build a little bit more slowly and a, uh, a bit more methodically, teams have retreated into their own penalty area and then Albrighton's crossing has been targeted to, to, targeted at, at players that aren't going to win aerial battles, such as Vardy, Okazaki, Iheanacho and, and any winger sort of coming in from the, from the far post. But this is where you find that accuracy for Mark Albrighton. Loads of space in behind for him to work with, but the ball itself was absolutely perfect. How many times have we seen him wrap his right boot around a ball like that in years gone by in a Leicester shirt and and that is the quality that he can bring you alongside the industry that we know you'll get from him every single game he just hasn't quite fit the the mold the Puel mold so far because he's not been able to play balls like that but it, it was an instinctive counter-attack um, and brilliantly finished off by by James Madison and and it was Important to get two quick fire goals to to really take full advantage of the pressure because we talked about that last week as well. We talked about dominating possession for large spells, looking dangerous until we get to the final third and then looking not clueless, but not looking like we were going to penetrate any kind of defence. Whereas this was proof that we could make the scoreline reflect the positive start that we'd had and two goals in in quick succession... Um, and a goal of that manner as well was excellent to see. It was a great team goal littered with quality. The three players involved all had their own moment of individual quality to contribute to a, a team goal. Uh, they did, and that's what probably will go towards. It would be a fantastic goal to beat it for uh, goal of the month. Leicester have yet, <clears throat> excuse me, yet to come out of the draw. Forest and Derby have also they've they've come out, so we're not getting them. Um, We've now creeped onto the, the the side of the screen where they put uh, the big teams or the most interesting teams. We weren't on there for the start of it, which was rather rude, maybe. But then again, give a shout out to the long league sides. Um, there we are. We are away at Wrexham or Newport. Leicester away at Wrexham or Newport in the FA Cup. Now that's got TV written all over it. First of all, Wrexham they've got a they've got a fantastic uh, pedigree in the FA Cup. And Newport, obviously a, a lower league side against the Premier League side, that's got TV written all over it. I'll, I'll state that right now. Um, that's a good third round draw, isn't it? You want you either want um, a, a home draw. I, I guess we we play the Premier League teams week in week out now, so it's it's less of a coup than usual. So it's nice to have a, a romantic cup tie, isn't it? It is a potential banana skin. You could argue that. We uh, that that Leicester maybe would want a, I don't know, lower championship side so that there was not really too much pressure or spotlight on it. But Wrexham or Newport, a trip to Wales, regardless, is um, is an interesting one. It, it it'll it'll be fun. It it'll it'll have a lot of character. There'll be a lot of people already eyeing up an away day there. Um, yeah, t- it has got unless there are some be- better ties that come out uh, this evening. That'll be. Uh, 
definitely be a contender for being televised. Maybe even a BBC one because they get the odd game still that we that we paupers that only have terrestrial TV can still watch. Well, if if Solihull get through their um, replay against Blackpool, they will have a home tie against Arsenal. So that will be a that will be a tremendous game. But uh, yeah, that, and that's the glory about the FA Cup. I mentioned on Twitter earlier about it. Really, I, I just said home tie against the low, lower league side. Who cares? We've had the great draws in the past. I remember when we got Newcastle. Was it in the league winning side uh, season when we got Newcastle at home in the FA Cup? Possibly. But, and I went, that's a great draw. Third round, you know, against the big side. We went to Forest a few years ago. Memorably, we had more fans in the ground than they did. Um, and there's Forest fans all over the place. A lot of them, friends of mine, who try and deny that fact. But the fact is, Leicester brought more fans to the city ground for a third round tie in the FA Cup than Forrest did. That happened. Was that that tremendously average nil nil? It was a terrible nil nil game, and then we came back to Leicester and we won. But I, I was on the halfway line um, with my dad, and it was we were in the halfway line because we we're in the Nigel Clough stand opposite the uh, the the cameras, for example. And we had so many fans there. I think just a, a, a shade under eight thousand, and. Um, and 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 there was uh, there was about fourteen thousand in the ground. It was it was ridiculous. But uh, but anyway, that's the FA Cup. Yeah, and I, and I said earlier that we, you know maybe a few home ties against lower league clubs. And lots of Chelsea. They always get you know Division One, Division Two clubs all the way through, and then they get to the quarterfinals and they've not played anyone. So it'd be quite nice to go for that run and and, and get quite far in the uh, in the competition. But anyway, that's the that's the FA Cup draw. But yeah, it was nice for Leicester to start really well against. Watford, you know, put the foot on the gas, go from the start, and and just play really well. There's no qualms about the football that the the, the side have been playing in terms of passing. The only qualms have been is because it's not maybe quick enough to get the ball forward. Yes, you can knock the ball around at the back for you know a few minutes and and then launch an attack, or or maybe if you do get the ball in your defence and most of the opposition players are in your half or in your penalty area, launch a counter-attack. But that's really been, it's been the speed. But there's been lots of lots of talk recently about Claude Puel and, and that style. But from my opinion, and, and from what I've seen on the touchline especially, he's been waving players forward, get the ball forward quickly. So maybe it's just the team trying to adapt to the fact that they're meant to keep the ball and, and not give it away easily when they have it and the opposition are set up defensively. But when Leicester have it, then spring forward in the Leicester style that we all, we all know. And I know it's been a while, you know, he's been there at the club for over a year now, but it seemed to have, ri- in both sense of the game, it clicked on Saturday. They they attacked quickly and with insightfulness and with um, penetrating passes and quick passes like we saw with all Brighton's cross for or I won't say cross but pass for Madison's goal when they had the chance to do that on the counter and then they soaked the pressure up and kept the ball in the style of the 2016 team in terms of soaking the uh, soaking the ball up and soaking the possession should I say and soaking their attacks giving them possession holding off and then when we had the ball don't give it away. Be sensible with things. It was, it was kind of an amalgamation between the 2016 side and the Claude Puel side that we've all kind of hoped. And it's it, it clicked in this game and hopefully it will click again. And we'll have to wait and see whether it does. But um, all the signs were positive against, again, a very good Watford side who have maybe had one or two wobblies this season. But they've also thrown in some tremendous performances. So I wouldn't take it away from the Watford side at all. And... Um, and, and and obviously we have to mention what Watford did and we spoke to Watford fans before the game or you did on the podcast and we know that they had the banner already sorted saying um, thank you Vishai for making us, make us all dream you know in terms of a size of a club who are at a similar level to Leicester in terms of their position in the Premier League making us all dream which is a, a sentiment I think most clubs in the Football League will echo most supporters with what happened to Vishai and, and, and all the others in that incident. The fact that Leicester did what they did two years ago meant that clubs the size of Leicester and also smaller clubs who be in the position where they can 
go for glory like Watford. I would put them as a smaller club than Leicester, but again, they're in that position in the Premier League where they can actually go for the glory. It, it dared everyone to dream. It made everyone realise that it's possible. And uh, it was a lovely touch. Um, there, was, there was two things that really stood out for me. Um, first of all, it was um, top awarding, not awarding is probably the wrong word, but giving the Watford fans free food and drink when he saw that, whether that was before or during or after, or it's, it's, it's quite clouded how that happened. Um, but that's the response that's been given by the Independent Supporters Club from Watford, uh, who who we spoke to and basically the Union FS of Watford. So we'll take their word for it really than anything to do with Leicester because that's properly what you really have to go on, the people who get the, the reward. And the second thing that really stood out for me and the main thing is that when they tried to raise the money for the banner, they raised it in no time at all and no doubt probably helped by a few City fans as well. But the one thing that stood out is that they raised about £1,700 more and then they donated that to the um, Comfy Shy Foundation, the former Foxes Trust, but now renamed the Comfy Shy Foundation at Leicester. They donated that to the club. So it goes to help the charities and and the uh, the programmes that were helped by Comfy Shy at Leicester. And that, for me, was a really classy touch. Yes, yeah, a really nice sentiment, isn't it? It's... Um... It's yet another example of how football can come together and how we saw in the weeks gone by since the incident the number of different shirts and scarves laid out and supporters from clubs all over the world really visiting the King Power or, or sending things or posting messages. It really touched people around the world because of the the world-famous Leicester City story and, and Watford then encapsulated that uh, within their their banner, thank you for allowing us all to dream, and and it and it has proved it broke a decades old monopoly. Uh, not since the early nineties, uh, the beginning of the Premier League era, when Blackburn did it, um, ha- has a team of uh, a club of that size achieved such such things. So it has, as you say, although I would agree with you, Watford are a slightly smaller club than Leicester in terms of. Uh, their facilities, their their fan base, etc., but but not significantly smaller. Um, so it 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 really does highlight the fact that um, that it can that achievements can be made by clubs of all sizes. And then uh, in true uh, family style, in in the way that they've run the club since they came, uh, obviously top um, seeing the banner being touched by the 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 sentiment from the Watford fans because it was it was well documented in the press beforehand um and on social media that they were raising this money and that the surplus would go towards the the Vichai Foundation. So Top I think will have already had something in his mind to do something generous for the, the Watford fans. But but when that banner went up and, and the reaction that was uh seen around the the ground and also um although the game wasn't televised live in, in this country there would have been people listening online. Um, Social media home plays on the a, evening. a big role in that, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So everybody in the ground would would, would have been sharing it as much as they could. Uh, and Top then felt compelled to to show his gratitude, which in the grand scheme of the finances that he's got available to him is, is a very small gesture. But to those Watford fans, uh, a lot of whom will travel across the country following their team we all know how expensive it is to be a football fan these days especially if you're a home and away football fan that would have been a large gesture and they didn't do it for the gratitude or for the for the response from from Leicester they did it because they felt compelled to do so because of what Vichai top and Leicester City managed to achieve so and and then to to continue the legacy even further by donating the the surplus money raised to the Vichai Foundation, I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful moment all round, really. Um, and it's it's interesting that no match day at the King Power Stadium has yet to go back to how it was before the crash. And and I think in in subtle ways, it it never really will because you know there's still no goal celebration music. The pre-match halftime stuff is still relatively toned down. That banner showed that there is still a real um, feeling of 
grief and sadness yet celebration of of what Leicester were able to achieve through Vichai at the same time and that is still at the forefront of a lot of people's minds so it, it, it is kind of interesting that no match day has yet gone back to how it was before and, and as I say I don't think it ever will but but it's not detracting from the spectacle that ultimately is a football match at the same time um, we had a great game a great result a great moment to share with the Watford fans uh, and long may these ties continue because let, I don't want to get onto a, a broader point too, too widely because it's something that's still talked about but you look at the fact that there's still quite a lot of animosity and violence within football, nowhere near as bad as it has been, certainly not in this country, don't get me wrong, but this event is one of a few that has seemed to bring everybody together, and although Watford aren't notorious troublemakers and and they haven't been in the past, it was nice that the fans in that stadium, although they were supporting different teams, could share a common feeling together. Yeah, I I completely agree. Some people, you know, scoff at sentiment and and, and gestures in football like that. Um, you know, people are with t-shirts and messages and all sorts that sort of thing. Um, and 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 per on a personal point of view, you know, for years and years and years, when 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 clubs do things, um, you sometimes think, you know, are they doing it through a sense of obligation because other clubs are doing it they don't want to be seen left out so we go back to the the poppy scenario really with Leicester being the forerunners of having a poppy on the shirts they were the first club to do it um, when they played uh, Blackburn Rovers I want to say 2003 uh, a long time ago we were we were the forerunners of doing that sort of thing but slowly as you get older and a bit well hopefully more wiser in my case um, you you, you realise that there's 32,000 people going to the King Power. This will be the biggest gathering that they'll be going to easily away from football. Do you know, they will, they will never go to anything like this. So, of course, there's going to be social sentiments like like Poppy Day, for example, Remembrance Day, shown at the football ground. But also, when it comes to a, a tragedy that happens to the football club, how else do you deal with it apart from on match days? And... And if you're a fan of the wayside, how do you go about turning up to Leicester? That that's one thing I've been thinking of. You know, if I was a, a supporter of a club in the Premier League and I was going to Leicester, what would I do? What would I want my club to do? And Watford obviously knew that their game against Leicester was coming up very shortly after the incident that happened, and it very quickly got sorted out. This banner, etc., and we've touched on that. It was fantastic. But if I was a club coming in January or February. You know, would do we lay a wreath? Do we do um? Do we do we do we donate some money to the uh, the Vichai Foundation? Do what do we do? Are are the um? Is there a memorial uh, area with flowers etc. still there? Um, it's it's slightly awkward. What is the protocol to go for? And uh, what I like is that a lot of the stuff that's happened since has been uh, spontaneous and almost done by non-football fans in, in terms of maybe the, the 5,000 to 1 walk and, and, and the amount of people who actually went on the walk more likely um, should I say the actual people who went on because there's 50,000 people there and there was only 32 in the ground and you'd say a good 10,000 of them probably never went on the walk because of you know probably travel situations etc and and that's what I like I like that what's What's happened since the you know the terrible incident has been it's it's been a very spontaneous and a natural kind of um, outpouring of grief and 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 the response from fans and that includes what happened with the with Watford on Saturday so oh, fair play to them and again I mentioned before before um, handing over to you to to donate that seventeen hundred pound they they could have literally not released that they had that extra money and they could have gone look we'll use it for other things or whatever. Not in a nasty way. I'm not, I mean, that might sound a bit weird, but you know we can keep that and maybe use it for the the, the fans' end of season, or maybe do something when Leicester Cup. You know they they could have kept it to one side. They didn't have to just say we've got seventeen hundred pounds. We're going to donate it. Uh, for me, that was a really a really nice touch. Um, even more probably than the actual banner itself. But uh, and and we'll see what happens later on. And. The the one thing I'll pick up from midweek when we played in the FA in the uh, League Cup against Southampton, 
was in the press room and again we get access to the press room very fortunate too and um there was obviously not many there uh in the the Carabao Cup and uh there was the Southampton guys in one corner and the predominantly Leicester based media spread out over a number of tables and um and the atmosphere had changed it'd gone very much more light-hearted the birch was on tremendous form um dishing out uh dirt and dishing out um abuse basically uh, about many of the media that were there having a laugh with all sorts of people who you recognize stringer and and jeff peters etc and also other people as well jerry taggart was there and he and it almost everyone kind of realized that this needs to happen and i think everyone had a, a big smile on their face in a way of let's let's have this laugh and let's let's do this and it went on for a long time and I think everyone realised that, yeah, let's just um, not get back to our old ways. But it, everyone realised there was a kind of a weight being lifted off their shoulders as this was happening. And and you could tell it wasn't um, it wasn't something that I thought because a few people mentioned it afterwards that it, it was something that needed to get out of. And, and and no one mentioned what happened a few weeks previous. But uh, it was it was a nice thing that happened, you know, obviously in the depths of the King Power. But uh, but there we go, and, and, and that's going to happen in many places. You know, there might be people who have not gone back to the King Power who maybe saw the incident or maybe um, only go every now and again, and then when they go back, that will be their first time back, and, and they'll be talking about it. And, and that will happen for, for years and years to come, and, uh, and 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 we can only, as a podcast, just kind of look forward, really, to and, and, and remember what you know what happened, but look forward to the, the coming games, really, and, and tell the stories like that, that, that story, really, of what happened on uh, on the, the game against uh, Southampton. But uh, but looking forward, we've got two games coming up soon, hence where we're doing this uh, this podcast right now. We've got Claudio Ranieri's Fulham. How strange does that sound? Although, actually, we'll just mention the, the Fulham game first, obviously. Difficult game. Good team Fulham. I don't think they'll go down at all. I, I thought that before Ranieri turned up. Um, they've got too many good players going forward. Dangerous side. I think we can get something from there, obviously. A point. I'll be happy with a point. Put it that way. Um, but um, the first thought is obviously Claudio going there. Um, not got a problem with him going there. It almost seems a good fit. He seems to be a good fit there. Yeah, I'd say so. I still think... Um... As we as we talked briefly about it the other week on the podcast, I still think it's um, uh, a move that that if I were Claudio Ranieri, I I wouldn't necessarily have made. But fair play to him; he, he's still got the hunger to to be in football. He's a man that knows the Premier League obviously better than most with with what he did with with our club. Um, they had a good reaction in their in their first game under under him, and then they had um, obviously the difficult West London derby this weekend against. Chelsea, which I thought they looked decent in, in in large parts. To be perfectly honest, um, they they didn't do themselves um, uh, any any bad favors, if you like. They, they they played pretty well. It's just a difficult game. Whatever stage of your season you're at, whatever run of form you're on, whatever um, managerial state you're in, so um, they'll be they'll be confident that they can make something happen at home. On, on Wednesday night and I think as you say it, it will be a difficult one there's always the um the the new manager syndrome if you like the the instant boy around the around the training ground and around the team um Which players of getting there, chances there will be, there will well, be with Ranieri probably well, more of course than yeah most... because of his his personality he'll come straight yeah. in and I think uh, regardless of what what regime Jukanovic was running there and the fact that they Fulham failed to bring the momentum from their championship campaign into the Premier League really and that was probably down to the fact that they signed an unnecessary number of players uh, and dropped those those key players that had, that had played a massive part in them getting to the top flight in the first place um, and Ranieri is a very jolly, very positive person, uh, both personally and professionally, in terms of his demeanour as well as in terms of the way he approaches uh, football and, and training grounds and, and stadiums. So I think they'll have instantly felt that more so with him than many other managers. You're quite right, Pete. Um, so Fulham will be really up for it. He, uh, Claudio Ranieri will make no 
bones about the fact that they need to get the home fans on side and by doing and and to do that they need to to generate some good home form um they'll have discounted that away game against Chelsea I think it's too soon to to say to 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 judge the Ranieri Fulham against against that Chelsea team uh, against any of the big six really um but he'll say look Leicester mid-table team all right they're unbeaten in five but they've only won a couple of them they uh, Leicester are beatable let's be perfectly honest you don't know um often what side is going to turn up half by half let alone game by game so Ranieri will really be targeting this for three points and I think that makes Fulham very dangerous they've got goals in them um absolutely but they're going to ship goals as well I, I think it's going to be a a multiple goal uh, edge of your seat kind of thriller and if we got out something like 2-2 or 3-3 like you Pete I think you'd have to say we'll take the point and run thank you yeah 3-2 Leicester maybe but um, no, in fact that would be my prediction 3-2 Leicester but yeah it, it, there are a lot of goals and, and the problem with Leicester is Varney went off we knew he had a groin injury and um, maybe he aggregated that oh, aggregated that in the end of the uh, at the end of the game or towards the end of the game and um, he uh, he might be because obviously you got Spurs on Saturday uh, in the evening kickoff. So what do you do if you've got a Vardy who's you know semi-injured? Do you say look, we'll maybe put you on the bench for the game against Fulham. You maybe don't train before the Fulham game. You know you rest and we put you on as a last resort possibly. Or do you then just say you're not playing in you're not in the team against Fulham? You're resting for a starting berth at home against Spurs on Saturdays. It is an awkward situation, and um, and I'd say probably made even more awkward by the fact that when we played against Brighton, Pluel went with Okazaki up top instead of Iniacho, which seems like a ludicrous decision. Really, I I was the big advocate for um, Shinji Okazaki to play in the game, but not in the number nine role. It was going to be in the number ten behind. Um, uh, behind Iniacho, or if 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 Madison, obviously who 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 played in that role, uh, was either out wide or whatever, it would be Okazaki in that role behind the centre forward, not as the main centre forward. So, who knows what Puel will do? Hopefully, he will go with probably Iniacho up top and 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 Vardy maybe on the bench resting for the game against against Tottenham on Saturday. But um, it's it's a strange decision. Do you go four to three points against? Um, Fulham and then and then see what happens against Spurs or or vice versa. And the problem he's got also is it's not just these two quick fire games. There's what six games in twenty odd days in December. So if you've got a front line forward like Vardy who's carrying an injury, it's an awkward situation. It, it didn't look like to be carrying anything during the game on Saturday, but obviously something's gone wrong afterwards. So it's a it's, it's a it's a real problem. And and for me. Again, obviously, they know best and they can see the players and, and they know what's going on. But I, I'd be surprised if Vardy figures against Fulham. And then we'll see what happens on Saturday. Maybe even start on the bench on Saturday because there's plenty of games coming up, like I said, including the quarterfinal tie against Manchester City. So it's an interesting team selection. Very impressed with Madison on Saturday. Albright, who we mentioned, Gray as well. The midfield looked very solid. Mendy playing well. Um, I'd imagine it's a very similar side. Um, the one thing I mentioned during the game against Watford was Sachoyu, who came on um, and they played three at the back. Uh, and there was a number of questions asked about Claude at the end of the game. And uh, I think it was a very good move because in the second half, Watford started to... They started quite well. And uh, after Leicester hit the post, they were on top. And they moved to a three at the back, Leicester. And it shut down the game. It really did. Shut down the game and Leicester were very com- comfortable and confident from then on. And bringing on Stroyu into the back three uh, at the time made that difference. And it was a very good decision, a very um, an interesting decision by Claude. And it worked very, very well. Obviously, um, Stroyu played very well in, in midweek. But um, to do that was was very interesting. And I wonder... With the issues with maybe Vardy, that could be even an option to start with three at the back. We've got um, plenty of options in that formation, in the centre of midfield and the centre of defence. And I won't be surprised if he throws a bit of a curveball in, maybe to throw the centre off 
a manager in the opposition dugout who, of course, knows the Leicester squad better than most. Yeah, it'll be interesting because we come into this Fulham game on the back of Claude Puel getting pretty much everything tactically right. And I think that is the first one of the first times in his in his managerial career at Leicester where he'd have an almost unanimous backing from most of the fans if you went out and spoke to fans uh, at the game and those that watch plenty of uh, of Leicester games home and away or on TV or wherever. Um, the team selection, the team approach, the tactical changes within the game all contributed to Leicester City winning that game. Now, obviously, we've said in the past that maybe Claude Puel... Uh, the Leicester's league position under him has been bumped up a couple of places owing to the fact that he's got some quality players at his disposal who can pull out something individual that doesn't necessarily reflect the the manager's um, approach to the game, uh, as such as the players that have been winning points rather than Claude Puel's management. But you've got to look at every single decision that he made before and during that game um, were ones that ultimately were positive and contributed to Leicester winning the game. Um, so now we go into to Wednesday's game against Fulham, actually talking in an interested, positive way about what potential team selections, formations could be utilised on Wednesday. I think Puel has tinkered a little bit too much uh, over, the, over this season and last season. I think he'd be best served to stick with the same 10 players and then just draft in Iheanacho for Vardy. Put Vardy on the bench because Jamie Vardy is so crucial to Leicester City, especially at this stage where we we had a discussion uh, a few weeks ago on a previous episode where we were bemoaning the lack of forward options that we had in terms of somebody being a lead striker and the fact that we've literally only got Vardy and Iheanacho and you can only ever rely on Ian Acho one game in two, one game in three to be of the standard that he needs to be to affect Premier League games regularly. So Vardy is very much our key striker. So you're going away to bottom of the league um, with Spurs coming up three or four days afterwards and an eye very much on the festive period. You've got to say that Jamie Vardy being available on the bench to come on to affect the game if we're not doing so well against Fulham and then being uh, rested enough to be able to start against Spurs on the Saturday is wholly more positive than chucking him into the starting line against Fulham on Wednesday, risking aggravating that injury to a point where he's then not available for Saturday, and all of a sudden your options become fewer and farther between. So Clubwell's already proved that he's not bothered about pulling Vardy out for a certain game to put him in for the next one. Obviously, he was still sort of nursing a bit of an injury um, and that's that's part of the reason why he's well likely to be part of the reason why he didn't start against Brighton. All right, we all questioned the decision to start Okazaki as the number nine, but the point is, Puel was happy to leave Vardy on the bench there uh, and then start him for the Southampton game um, to ensure what well, to help ensure progression in the cup. He then started a week later against uh, at, at five days later against Watford, so. That's two starts in a row and a little niggle at the end there, as you say, Pete. So for me, pull him out of Wednesday, put him on the bench. If we need someone to go on and affect the game and stretch it in the last 20 minutes, if we're chasing it or or we want a different option, go for it. But keep him fit for Spurs and protect him because he's not getting any younger and he re- relies on his explosive nature to affect games. I, I would pull him out of the Fulham game. I would start him against Spurs and we've got to manage him carefully because a Jamie Vardy available to come off the bench and help and then start every other game over Christmas is is much better than him snapping his groin and being out for a couple of months because groins take a little while to heal with all the twisting and turning involved in football. So, yeah, pull him out of Fulham, start him against Spurs, protect, protect, protect. I agree, and and Iniesta when he came on looked um, looked sharp as well. He's obviously got something to prove, so why not say to him, "Look, here you go, here's your game, and uh, you're starting up top. And if you're playing well, we're not going to substitute you. You're going to be playing because we want to rest Vardy. And if you play well and score a couple of goals, for example, then you might even start against Spurs at home on Saturday because again, Vardy, we don't want to miss him from them games. It's interesting. Um, obviously, he's got the squad behind the front line. 
But it's that forward line, isn't it, that we haven't got those number nine players. And if you've got any uh, a, a Acho and a, and a Vardy who's half injured, it's it's an awkward situation and something that might be readdressed in the January transfer window and, and might well need to be, to be perfectly honest. But um, looking behind the scenes, or looking be- sorry, behind the front line, it's all very rosy. Players playing well and uh, obviously a lot of players behind those roles, such as obviously Ricardo at right back with now Simpson with 90 minutes under his belt uh, against uh, Southampton in the week. And then you've got obviously the left-back position, Fuchs playing well, uh, obviously with um, Chilwell being the first choice. No problems there, even with the goalkeeper. Um, and in and, and central defence, Morgan played well, I mentioned at the start, against Watford alongside Ch- um alongside Johnny Evans, who's who's really has um, now settled into his role at Leicester and looks the very solid play that we all thought. Uh, so Chony has played really well recently. And again, he's only a youngster, 22 years old, and he's one for the future and will be playing a very important role from now on, maybe even first-team roles. Not a problem there. Maguire's going to come back. Again, we're missing Harry Maguire. But there's one player w- which we'll finish on, really, um, with the podcast, and that's um, Benkovic, who we signed in the summer, a young lad from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, a few quid, what, 12 million odd quid, uh, around about there, tall, 21 odd year old, centre half, um, built like an outhouse, but um, signed for a few quid, and then sent on loan straight away, no messing, same day pretty much, but sent to Celtic, so it's not like he's going down to the, uh, you know, maybe League Two or League One, for example, or even to a poor Championship side. He's going to Celtic, who, yes, you may scoff at the Scottish Premier League, but it's still Celtic, and he has been very impressive until the last few weeks, where the impressive has become. This guy has looked fantastic. They won the League Cup at the weekend. Uh, there's been some gifts and some uh, YouTube clips going around the internet about little flicks and little turns he's done. That's all very well, you winning in the cup final, but they've been raving about this guy. And the person that they're linking him to, I know it's very easy to do, but they're saying it's like when Van Dyke played for Celtic uh, before he then went to Southampton and obviously on to Liverpool. Um, there's been a lot of word for Celtic, and they've already put it out there, and it's kind of like the unofficial means, and it it, it came through the club eventually that they're interested in signing them on a full-time basis. And I think that's almost like a bit of a, a, a feel towards Leicester, you know, do you want to let him go? Puel has shot that down in a, in a sentence with, no, he's going to be a Leicester player, we're really interested with him. We're talking to him all the time. We're probably going to leave him there on loan for the rest of the season. I think that's the sensible thing. We don't need him at the moment. But this guy could come back and could easily play himself into a first-team role. Maybe in a back three, he would be superb. Bit of pace as well. Um, Basically, when you send these players on loan, you hope for the best. And you hope that they perform like Benkovic is doing. By the sounds of it, he could not be doing any better. So to sum up, excellent win against Watford, interesting FA Cup third round draw, uh, lots of young talent at the club, five games unbeaten, 3-2 win against Fulham on Wednesday night, I reckon one all draw against Spurs on Saturday, that'd take us to seven games unbeaten, that'd solidify our place in the top half, things are looking very, very rosy, I don't know why we ever even rant on this podcast. I don't rant at all, I don't know that... Rant? Have I been known to rant in what 102 episodes? Never in a million years have I ranted. It's looking very good. Again, if you just go from position by position by position, there is backup in quality and also in quantity in many places, bar probably the number nine. And um, and even on the last episode, we I very much put my case forward for bringing Harvey Barnes back to the club, I still stand by that role. Because again, you've got three players behind Vardy. And I think the first team three players are the three who played on Saturday. You've got Gray one side, Albright in the other, and Madison. I would have Harvey Barnes being the next player. And he will probably still come on if those three are playing in, 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 a, in a Premier League game. I would still have him back. 
I would have him ahead of the likes of Gazelle and 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 Diabate and other players. But um, it's it it's it's all looking good. Again, it's all looking good. It's very easy to pick holes with with your football club. Supporting a football club, you're always going through. I'm not going to say the bad times, but you'll always be looking forward. You'll always be looking at what can we improve and we should be doing better. And at the moment at Leicester, we're doing that, but from a position of very stable mid-table security and also being very far in the cup as well. And and with the promise of what could happen in the January transfer window, who knows what could happen? Maybe if we're in the position to strike for, say, a sixth or seventh place or whatever, then maybe they might put you know push the boat out and and go and get someone maybe up top. Who knows what could happen? You know we we don't know. We just uh, spout nonsense whilst uh, having the button firmly pressed on record. But so we've got a uh, an FA Cup third round tie against who? Just a joggy memory. Newport or Wrexham. Good. Um, I remember Newport. I can't remember the other one. Um, Newport or Wrexham. So, uh, yeah, there you go. It's going to be on TV. Uh, start of January. Um, Sheffield Dynamo are in the uh, the Vars in the, they've got to go to Newcastle or up there on the 5th of January so that's interesting they're flying the most informed team in Europe by the way Sheffield Dynamo great stat love your stats it's it's unofficial but they've they've basically won 12 on the bounce and unbeaten in 15 so you know it's uh, safe to say that's probably the most informed team but uh, anyway that's going well. Uh, the podcast going well. What else? Drinking with fear podcast going very well. Um, a number of people have actually uh, uh, reviewed that and mentioned that they listened to the podcast uh, for fuck's sake. So if you have done that, then uh, a big hello and thank you very much. And also, just a word on that: if you have been listening to for fuck's sake for uh, a while now, or if you just joined us, then um, please uh, rate and review the podcast. If you do listen to us, for example, on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts on your iPhone, just click on however many stars you think and leave a few words review. Just just out of uh, out of interest, just just say whatever. I'm not particularly bothered what you say, and I'm pretty sure, Rob, you're not as well. So just be honest and, and leave a review. I've done it on a number of podcasts I listen to. It will be nice... And I'm not doing it. We're not doing it for any reason at all. We don't need a, a certain amount to get uh, any incentives or whatever. Not at all. Absolutely not at all. It'd just be nice to hear what people actually think. You know, uh, get in contact with us at FFS Pod or via Facebook or via for Fox 8 Podcast at gmail.com. But leave a review on the uh, podcast provider of choice. It'd be nice to just uh, hear what people think and be honest. It's uh, you know. Tell us what you think about Rob, you know, really. What what do you think? Because not too sure, to be honest. I think he's all right. 